Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the world sort of like oscillates between two states, which is uh, confusing and baffling. So <laughs> I think that uh, it's, it's always good when we can try to um, wrap our minds around sort of like a kind of a, 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 a structure, which is sort of like a, just a, 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 a macro type um, approach to understanding the world and exactly what we're doing in the world. And um, the Torah is so deep uh, and it's working on so many different levels that oftentimes it'll give us, you know, little events that, that may seem sort of um, innocent or perhaps even mundane. And yet, with the help of our, our great rabbis and, and, and thinkers um, and holy people, um, we're able to actually really plumb the depths and see that, that what the Torah is relating to us are just phenomenal vistas of um, just vision and insight into the structure of the universe and, and our lives uh, themselves. So, so today we're going to focus on one of those incidents in the Torah. And you'll see how it unfolds until this, this very uh, quite amazing um, structure, uh, I think. Um, and also will inform us... Uh, not just about the, the larger picture, but what it is that we're actually doing with our, our prayers and, our, and our, our mitzvahs and our acts of kindness and, and, and things like that. So, so without further ado, um, let's begin at least with this notion of um, our Holy Father Yitzchak. Right? Yitzchak is the son of Avraham, so the, the, the dynasty is it's Avraham and then Yitzchak and then Yaakov. And then the tribes come out from there and, and, uh, and the Jewish people. Um, so we're going to focus in on, on the, the digging of the wells that, that Yitzchak does. Um, Yitzchak, just a way of prefacing this, is maybe the most um, mysterious uh, of, the, of the avos of our, of our holy fathers. Because we have many uh, chapters of the Torah, Parshos, devoted to the life of Avraham and many devoted to the life of Yaakov, but very, very few uh, in mentions of Yitzchak. And when the Torah does focus in on Yitzchak, it spends a seemingly a disproportionate amount of time talking about him digging wells. And so why, and what he names them, and how many dig wells he's dug, and, and all, all, these, all these details surrounding the, the wells. And this is a lot of what we know about Yitzchak. So what's going on? What is this teaching us? So, so I want to bring you um, two different approaches, and I'm going to integrate them uh, with God's help, and, and it'll come together in, uh, hopefully in, in a, in a, with many different levels. Um, and the, the two approaches are from Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Chaver, um, the Or Torah, uh, his commentary there, and also uh, from, from uh, Chabad Hasidus. Um, and and we'll, we'll get a, an, an approach from there as well. So, and we'll combine them. So let's, let's begin with, um, with Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver. So, so what is this idea of digging wells? Well, the first thing that we have to understand is that, is that the Gomorrah itself compares Torah to water. So if you're digging wells, what is it that you're actually doing? So on the simplest level, we have to understand that the Torah is, is referring to the fact that 
there were people there with shovels, and they were actually digging wells, okay? So, so we, let's never lose sight of the simple meaning of the text as well. So we have to balance all these things. So there actually was well digging going on. But we also know that the greatness of, the, of our holy fathers and mothers is that throughout all of their actions, they had the most amazing kavanas, the, the, the highest things in mind at the same time. So they were actually bridging heaven and earth with their actions. And, and you know, for instance, just to give you an example of how deep this can be, um, the, the Malbum points out that when, uh, that, that, that great people, that great people, and we're, when we're talking about great people, just sort of like great spiritual giants, are having simultaneous conversations with people. In other words, that since, since the whole world is filled with godliness, and God is one, and God puts a little aspect of himself in each of us. That's, our, that's what we call our souls. So each one of us is sort of like this em- emanation, like if you imagine like the, um, the sun has rays of light. Imagine that each one of us is uh, in some level a, a ray of light of, of God. But this is not to um, diminish God's oneness or to say that God has any, uh, any body or physicality at all. Please don't misunderstand the the, uh, the, 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 the language that we're phrasing this in. Just to say that all of us are revelations of, 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 of godliness, but we're not God. Only God is God, and God exists beyond, 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 beyond. And yet, at the same time, we exist within God, right? So, so with that in mind, hopefully that was clear, with that in mind, great people have simultaneous conversations, meaning to say that when they're talking to another person, they're also talking at the same time to God. And you see examples of this, like for instance, when Yosef HaTzadik goes to talk to Yehuda to demand the release of Binyamin, right? Hopefully you're all familiar with that story. That's a climactic chapter of the, of the story of, of Joseph and his brothers like getting it together. The commentaries say that, 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 that Yosef was, or Yehuda rather, wasn't just talking to, to Yosef, who he thought was the king, but he was talking to the king simultaneously. So, so and you see other examples of this as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I've tried at different times in my life to, to do this. And I'll tell you, if you can actually pull it off, it'll blow your mind, you know? Like, I'll give you an example. Like, I remember one time I was at Starbucks, Right? And I thought, okay, so I'm ordering a coffee, but ordering a coffee, if you think about it, is actually a prayer for coffee. Right? You know, because who says the person has to give you the coffee? Or who 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 says that you even have to remain alive? Like, from the moment that you order the coffee to the time that you receive the coffee. You know, so, I mean, really, like, life itself is like a moment-by-moment enterprise. So I remember thinking that, let me try to apply this. So I said to the person behind the counter, trying to talk to them and God at the same time, I said, please may I have a cup of coffee? (laughs) You know? And then I got the coffee, and it was a prayer answered. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very wild way to go through life, if, but it takes 
a lot of concentration. This is not something that comes easily. You know, first of all, you have to remember to do it. That in itself is good luck even remembering to try to do this. <laughs> then when you do it, you actually have to be fairly serious. And you, and you also can't, you know, be praying to the person. Right. <laughs> right? Like, for instance, like I, I mentioned to you guys the other time, one of my... One of the things that I used to say a lot, I don't really say it much anymore, but I, there was a period in my life where I really enjoyed saying it, which was that when people would bring out a birthday cake, and then everyone would say, make a wish, and then I'd say, don't pray to the cake. <laughs> the cake's not going to answer your prayer. You know, so it's sort of like how you speak and yet simultaneously, you know, order you know, the person versus and where your words are going and what your kavana is, this is, you know, this takes a, a level of, um, of focus and refinement. But, but, but what, what the point we're trying to bring out here is that the entire world is, is, exists within God, exists within God, and that God saturates all of reality. So, so, so one of the visualizations, or the, if you want to say, um, one, of the, one, one of the pieces of imagery that the, that the, that the sages of the, of the Talmud are teaching us is that when you see references to water in the, in the Torah, understand that it's talking about Torah itself, that water and means Torah. Okay, so now, with that in mind, let's revisit this idea of Yitzchak, our holy father Yitzchak, digging for wells. So he's, he's now digging for Torah, basically. So what's this idea? You have to dig for Torah. What, what does that mean? So, so we have to understand that, that the way one of the structures of the universe, and we're going to come back to this, one of the structures of the universe from a mystical standpoint is that there are four main stratifications, and um, it's referred to, Kabbalistically speaking, as the four worlds. But we're not talking about four separate universes or anything like this. We're talking about one world as it exists within God. But we have a concept called simsum, which is that God took his light, and this is one of the ways that we express how God created the world, that God took his light, and it wasn't just his light, it was like the outer garment of his light. This is the orange sof, light without end, right? But that's already just the outer garment of God's light. And that God compacted that light more and more and more, more and more compacting, till it went from the spiritual to the material, right? So if you can imagine just compressing light until the point that it becomes physicality itself. Now this is something, this is an idea that our, that our sages have had for, for thousands of years. And it completely correlates with Einstein's E equals mc squared, which is that energy <coughs> becomes mass, or mass becomes energy. So phrasing it slightly differently, we're talking about the interrelationship between spirituality and materiality, or light and matter, how, whatever vocabulary words you feel most comfortable expressing it in, it's all talking about the same idea. So, so modern physics has, has actually quantified this relationship. And beyond confirming the reality of it, it's actually 
quantified some so anyway so one of the things to understand then is that this relationship between spirituality and materiality exists on one single spectrum in other words a lot of people who are unlearned and haven't delved into these topics would say well i'm not very spiritual or spirituality yeah it's me it's more for you not for me but what they don't understand is that the reality of the universe that they lived in it is compressed compacted spirituality in other words the material is compacted light so all that exists around us and i'm talking science right now is compacted energy right now or compacted light so a person might say i'm not spiritual that that's all you are is spiritual it's all you are actually you know so so now with this in mind the rebbes teach us something very very important because in the higher dimensions of this spectrum where it's more light and like we were saying when we talk about the four worlds what we're talking about is that there are four main stratifications four main checkpoints if you will from it being complete light to this realm which is the bottom of the four where it's complete materiality at least as we perceive it okay so and that each one of these steps going from say the bottom up becomes ever more expansive right but here's the thing to understand and this is actually something that i gives me a lot of strength and whenever i remember this especially if you get into a dark place you remember this thought very important thought that god exists equally in this dimension as he does in the highest dimensions because you have to understand if god completely saturates the entire universe right then he doesn't exist any less in any part of the universe even if he isn't as revealed in this dimension that we live in right now what we call olamasia this world is called the world of action right it's harder to see more covered up one of the great teachings on this on this point is the word for world in hebrew olam has the root in hebrew ayin lamed mem which means elam which means hidden because god is hidden in this world so the word the word for world itself tells you that god is hidden within this dimension and yet as we just learned he's equally present here as he is in the highest reaches equally present here equally present here okay so we're still believe it or not talking about yitzhak <laughs> digging the wells right but we're we're going to be integrating a lot of different things um so so this is all background and we're going to come back to these thoughts in a moment so so the idea is that that when you're digging wells and you're digging for torah what you're trying to do is uncover the oneness of god in this realm right that's that's the idea of digging for water you're digging for torah you're digging you're you're expending effort in order to open up the gates of perception so that people understand the oneness of god even here in the most material realm that's what it means digging for 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 water okay 
Now they say that Yitzchak, that Yitzchak, you see, one of the aspects of his greatness is that that when he interrelated with a person, he would he would dig in terms of when he would relate to another person, and that he would uncover their wells too. And this reminds me of a teaching that I heard from Reb Shlomo that I made a very big impression on me. He said, what's the difference between a rabbi and a Rebbe? He says, a rabbi teaches you something that you didn't know before. A Rebbe puts you in touch with the deepest aspects of your soul. Right? So this is the idea of Yitzchak digging in terms of interrelating with another person, uncovering their their wells, if you will, their water, their Torah, their soul, that which is inside of them. Okay? So that's another level that we're operating on. Now, before I get into sort of more of the aspects of the, uh, how this talks about the structure of the universe, let me just make one more, one more point, which I think is especially relevant to our generation, which is the Torah... Again, not, not, nothing the Torah says is incidental. And even the way it spells a word is not incidental. And every single letter within the word itself is of great significance. So if the Torah is giving you a piece of information, a person has to meditate on it and understand its full meaning, or at least attempt to. So one of the things the Torah says is, is that that the Plishtim, the Plishtim were the adversaries of, of uh, Yitzchak and, and, and Abraham too at a certain point. So they were the neighbors there. It says that the Plishtim plugged up the wells of Abraham. So now listen to what it says. It says that they took dirt, that they took earth, right? Earth, as in the planet Earth, as in this realm of utmost materiality. Right? What is a person made out of? A person is a composite of light and earth. Right? Adam, which means man, comes from the word Adama, which means earth. Right? So, so, so they took earth, which means utmost physicality, and they plugged up the wells of Abraham. Meaning to say that, that there are like forces and counterforces. And every level of spirituality has that advocate of light and has a counterbalance which will try to knock off that aspect. It's not a coincidence that Yaakov Avinu, our Holy Father Jacob, is born with this twin called Esav. Because that counterbalance is always maintained because God always wants to give us free choice. Right? You know, and it's everywhere. Remember, even the first letter, we say the Torah is the blueprint of reality. The very first letter of the Torah is the letter Bez, which is the number two. Why? Because God balanced this entire system of reality on this idea of two, which is free choice. I can do this or I can do that. That God has structured reality in such a way that our free choice is constantly maintained. And so therefore you have, so you say, well, what about Moses? Like, 
you know, Moses, like, okay, I understand you got Yaakov and Esav, but it says that Bilaam, who, you know, just, you know, blows his potential in the worst way, and is one of the great villains of the Torah, or perhaps the greatest villain, it says that Bilaam was given the gift of prophecy to rival Moshe, and that he was supposed to be the Moshe for the rest of the nations. So the reason why I'm bringing this out is so that you should understand that even at the level of Moshe, you had a counterbalance. So God is always maintaining our free choice. So here you have Avraham Avinu, who's digging wells, right? Which means the revelation of light. And you have the Plishtim taking earth and plugging up the wells. Shutting it off. Shutting it off. Now you have Yitzchak, and this is very interesting. It says, Yitzchak, after Avraham leaves this world, starts re-digging the wells. And I, I saw a very interesting detail in the Chabad um, Chumash. They, they said, um, they said, notice that it was after the life of Avraham. That in other words, Yitzchak didn't try to innovate his path of service until his Rebbe, so to speak, had left the world. Then it was time at that point for him to be able to, to introduce his, his style. Right? So Yitzchak comes and it says, Re, re-dug the wells of his father. And he called them by a different name. Called them the names he called them. But it says that he redug the wells of his father. And this, I, I think, is a very powerful lesson to our generation. Because, you see, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, you know, one of the kind of the interesting things, if you go and if you've ever had the opportunity to have Shabbos at a Shabbos table and, and to be with people who keep Shabbos, you'll notice that when they take out the challah, the, the special bread for Shabbos, you'll see that after they cut it, they dip it in salt. A lot of people always wondered, like, what's this idea of dipping the bread in salt? So I heard Rabbi Shlomo say one time that challah, you know, bread has to be fresh. For it to be good, it's got to be fresh. But, you know, salt is a preservative. So you take the bread, which has to be new, and what do you do? You dip it in something that's old. Right? Because it's got to be new and it's got to be old at the same time. In other words, here Yitzchak is now, Abraham was chesed. Abraham blazed this path through this trail of kindness. And Yitzchak is now coming and doing it through Gevorah, through this intense inner focus and, and kavana, right? And discipline. But what is he doing? He's redigging the wells of his father. In other words, he's taking every one of us has our own gifts. Every one of us has our own insights. And God says, take your talents, the new talents that I've given you, and do it like your fathers and your mothers did it. Right? So it's new and it's old at the same time. So you have Yitzchak redigging the wells of his father. So now, let's... Uh, Let's go further. So this is the point that I, I, I want to continue in 
Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver. So he says, you know, let's look at the letter Aleph. So the letter Aleph is composed of actually three letters. And everybody knows that the letter Aleph is the first letter of the Aleph base and is, would correlate with the number one. You know, God is one. So this is the, the oneness of God on some level, Kaviyocha, right? Metaphorically speaking. All these, whenever we talk about imagery for godliness, it's just to, it's not because God is in the shape of an Aleph, God forbid, but just to begin to have a pathway to imagine certain depths. So we have, to, our minds need something to hang on to, but God, remember, is beyond, 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 beyond. Okay. So God, so to speak, like is, we, we talk about the, the letter Aleph, because Aleph is one and God is one, but we know that the letter Aleph is actually composed of three letters. There's the letter Yud on top, then there's the letter Vav, and then there's another letter Yud below. And that's the shape of an Aleph. So we know that many letters in, in, in the Hebrew alphabet are actually composites of other letters. Okay? So an Aleph is in a Yud above, a Vav going diagonally, and a Yud below. And we know that Yud is the number 10, so 10 and 10 is 20, and Vav is the number 6, that's 26. So that's the numerical value of the holiest name of God, Yud and He and Vav and He, what we call the Shemavaya or the Tetragrammaton, right? So in other words, within the letter Aleph itself, you have the holiest name of God. Mm-hmm. Now, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber says that this is like also a map of the cosmos, that the upper Yud stands for the upper waters. The Vav stands for the Rakia, that's the firmament, as it's translated in English, the sky, if you will. And the lower Yud is the lower waters. Okay? So we're going to try to wrap our minds around this for a moment. The lower Yud is the lower waters. Okay? So, So it says on the second day of creation, that God separated the upper waters from the lower waters. And this is considered um, by our holy rabbis to be one of the most mystical statements in the entire Torah. What does that mean at the beginning of creation? God separated the upper waters from the lower waters. What does that mean? So according to the Ramban, he says, I'm going to put it in my own words, but this is his explanation of it on the, the most surface level that if you were to take a rocket ship, right? This is my language right now. If you were to take a rocket ship and it goes like, you know, hundreds and thousands or billions or whatever it is of light years to the furthest, 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 furthest part of the galaxy, right? That would still be the lower waters. (laughs) The lower waters are any aspect of the physical universe, even if it's the furthest, furthest reaches of outer space. The upper, the upper waters are already the spiritual dimensions. Okay, so when we're talking about the upper Yud of the letter Aleph, we're talking about the spiritual realms, the highest spiritual realms, and the lower Yud is now talking about all of the physical universe itself. Okay? And then we have the letter Vav in between. So now listen to this. Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver says that when Isaac, our Holy Father Isaac, was digging wells, 
what he was doing was he was bringing the upper yud, which means, again, the higher waters, right? Because he was digging for water. And don't, um, don't get confused by the imagery here, because when you dig, you dig down, right? But he was digging up, <laughs> okay? Meaning to say that what he was trying to unlock was the highest dimensions of Torah, the highest dimensions of light and shefa and blessing, okay? So when he was digging, what he was doing was bringing the upper waters, right, symbolized by the higher yud in the letter Aleph, down until this world, which is, again, the revelation of the oneness of God. Now, he says something else. He says many things on the letter Aleph, but I'm just going to tell you another thing, because I love this idea, too. This is amazing, I think. Now, we know that the letter Vav, remember, this letter Vav is connecting the higher Yud and the lower Yud, right? So the letter Vav, Vav, we know, is the number six. So Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says something unbelievable. He says that that stands for the six days of the week. So that basically, basically, the six days of the week are a bridge bringing the upper light down below for Shabbos. It's like a tube, so to speak. That vav is like a tube, so to speak, which is taking all of this light from above and bringing it down from six to seven, right? Meaning this realm. We know, just, uh, just to shorthand it, those of you who are familiar with this t- terminology, machus is seven, machus is this realm, which is the lower, lower part. So, so the idea is on Shabbos, on Shabbos, you've got a direct pipeline funneling light from above into this dimension below. And that that light and that joy and that spirituality that you experience on Shabbos is basically this light that has this direct funnel from above to below. An amazing, an amazing way of wrapping your mind around what happens on Shabbos, the transformative effect on Shabbos. Now they say that the food tastes better on Shabbos because Shabbos itself is a spice that Shabbos gets into the food. This is, this is what our sages say. So in other words, this, this, this idea of this light, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reality to it. It's actually seasoning the food, as well as you know, helping us and opening up our, our hearts and our minds as well. Okay. So now, let's approach this from another angle. And hopefully we lay the groundwork for this transition that we're going to make right now which is that we said that one of the ways to understand the structure of the universe is to understand it as four worlds, right? Kabbalistically speaking, we refer to the four worlds, but we said they're not four separate constructs. It's just one spectrum, the greatest amount of light on top, right? That's the realm that we call Atsilus, all the way coming down as the light gets compacted into the physicality of this dimension that we call Earth or Malchus or Olamasiyah, Whatever you want to call where you live, right? So that's, <laughs> that's here. Let's call it here, okay? Um, okay. So now I saw uh, from, from the Hasidus of Chabad something very, very interesting. You see, what I want you to do now is to, you know how you have those, you ever see those uh, maps of the human body where you can like put an overlay Right, and then you can put another overlay, and you can put another overlay. 
So I'm going to ask you to do this right now with your mind. So I'm going to ask you to sort of picture the letter Aleph, and now put an overlay on top of that, and you're going to put four lines in that Aleph, right? Because that Aleph stands for the whole world, right? So that, 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 that's a map of the world, right? So now we're going to basically see four stopping points going from the bottom of the Aleph to the top of the Aleph, which are the four worlds. Okay, is that, is that clear? Okay, so now, now enter Chabad. So <laughs> <laughs> they say that the four wells, there, there are four wells that Yitzchak is told to have dug. And this was a surprise to me because normally speaking, we speak about the three wells because there are three times when the wells get names. And the first one is called fighting because they really fought Yitzchak about it. It's called Essek, right? Uh, you know, and then the second one, they fought him a little bit less. And the third one, already they didn't fight him at all. And he, Rechavod, he calls it that and it's like wide open spaces. And the Ramban says that this is actually um, the three base hamigdashes that are being talked about. Because we have, um, we have this great phrase, this great teaching called Maisim Avo Simen Lebanim, which means that the actions of our holy fathers and mothers, especially as described in the Torah, are assigned to all their children for future generations. In other words, in the Torah itself, you have a microcosm of all future history. So this digging of the wells, remember, what did we say that the digging of the wells is? That the, the water is Torah, that, that you, he's unlocking the light in this world and revealing the oneness of God. What was the holy temple in Jerusalem? What was the Beis Amigdash, if not a physical manifestation of the revelation of the oneness of God? Right? So, so the first temple was destroyed, the second temple was destroyed, but the third, well, it says he had no problems with whatsoever. The Ramban says that's the third base Hamikdash. That's, that's forever. No one's going to contest it, right? So normally speaking, that's a, like a famous Devar Torah. Normally speaking, people, you know, when they think about Yitzchak digging wells, they think about the three wells. So I was so happy to learn that actually if you read a little bit further, there's a fourth well. <laughs> so what's going on with the fourth well? So the fourth well, now let's get back to the Aleph, right? Let's go back to the Aleph because now we've got four worlds and we can climb from the bottom to the top, from the lower waters to the higher waters. Let's see how this works in terms of the way they phrase it from Chabad. So I'm providing that in-between step, but now here comes the Chabad thought. So, so they say that the the four wells actually correlate with four holidays. And remember, we know that as we have the, the holiday season, starting with Rosh Hashanah, that basically we're climbing up, right? Each, each holiday we're, we're, we're climbing up because we're building on all the gates that we opened from the previous holiday, okay? So first comes Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah correlates with the first well. That's Essek, that's fighting because on Rosh Hashanah, it's, it's called Yom Adin, the Day of Judgment. Like, that's serious business, Rosh Hashanah. Right? That's the first well that was dug. The second day of Rosh Hashanah, they say the judgment is easier. So, you know, it's still like Yom Adin, it's still the Day of Judgment, but not quite as intense. So that correlates with the second well that Yitzchak dug. 
there was opposition, but the opposition wasn't as intense. The third well correlates with Yom Kippur. Because remember, the great uh, gematria that the, that the Gomorrah brings in, in, in Gomorrah Nadarim, that says that the gematria of the word hasatan, the, the Satan, the accuser, if you will, hasatan is gematria 364. Now, we know that there are 365 days in the year, which means there's one day without this sudden energy. <laughs> and that's Yom Kippur, right? The Gomorrah brings this. So that's the third well. The third well is no problems, and that correlates with Yom Kippur. And now, so now, go back to the Aleph. We're climbing, we're climbing up the Aleph, right? Now we're going to get to the top of the Aleph, which correlates with what? The upper waters, right? So the fourth well, it says he named Beersheva, which means basically the, the, the well of the, of the seven. So what, what is seven days? Seven days after Yom Kippur, right? What's the holiday that's seven days after Yom Kippur? Sukkot, right? But it's the seventh, it's, it's the seventh day, which is Hoshana Rabbah, right? Because the last day of Sukkot has a special name called Hoshana Rabbah. Now remember, we're at the top of the Aleph now, right now. What happens on Hoshana Rabbah? A decree is made, all the rain, all the water that the world is going to get. <laughs> And it all comes together. Mm. Everything comes together. Mm. Right? Awesome. Mm, awesome, yeah. awesome, 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 awesome. Right? So, so we're all well diggers. <laughs> Which is to say we're all candle lighters, right? Because today is Rosh Chodesh Kislev, right? The beginning of the month of light. We're all digging wells. And we say, or Torah, right? That the Torah is a light. So we say that the mitzvahs are a candle and the Torah is the light. Right. So what does that mean? That means that the mitzvah is like a candle. That's the action. That's the, the physical dimension. And then after you do a mitzvah, you unleash a light. Right? So the mitzvah is the candle and the light is the Torah. It's the light, the energy the revelation of oneness that comes out after your action. And uh, we have to make sure when we dig wells that we don't hit each other over the head with our shovels. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm very serious about that. <laughs> You know, because sometimes we mean well, but, you know, it's, it's you know, the, the other person, it's like, you know, you know, don't dig there. <laughs> you know, you're, you're hurting me. <laughs> I know you're trying to open up my soul and unleash my light, but, you know, that's made out of metal and it's got a point on it. <laughs> Your words are... A little metallic for me right now, you know? So the best way to dig with people is just through love, right? Just to be friends and 
and, and to genuinely care. Because people have a sixth sense and they, they, can, they, they understand sincerity, you know? And um, sometimes uh, there's a, a limit of what you can get away with by being sincere. <laughs> they say, okay, you are now have crossed the threshold to sincerely annoying. <laughs> so, <laughs> but nonetheless, nonetheless, it's nothing opens up wells within people better than love, right? And, um, you know, there's a time for a shovel. There is a time for a shovel. There is. You know, when we're confronting challenges and there's just a lot of darkness and you got to dig a hole through the wall, you know, you know, you know, when we get, you know, just barricades in our life, sometimes we got to really dig hard to unleash that light. Um, and, uh, you know, I heard... Um, Reb Shlomo say that one of the reasons why a person needs a Rebbe is a person has to know when to serve God publicly and when to serve God secretly. Right? So I would extend that teaching and say, you know, sometimes you have to know when to do it softly and when to do it with a little more, you know, strength. Right? And you need a Rebbe for that sometimes too, to have that level of guidance. All right, Hashem should bless us. Maybe less, but it's there. Is there even more energy or more light that you can unpack by dealing with the Yitzhak and that, like, in on Shabbos, when that energy does come up, you can, if you can harness it and bring it towards light, can you even create a greater angel than during the week with that? Or Yeah, yes, I'll tell you why, because, or maybe I'm saying slightly, something slightly different right now, but, but we're but we're talking about the same topic. We get something on Shabbos, we get a special gift called the Neshama Yaseira, which means um, it's translated as an extra soul, but it's kind of a, a rookie kind of mistake to think that somehow a, a second soul enters you. Yeah, that's not it. It's that there's an expansion of soul. That, that's what it is. And, and what, what Ra, the way Rashi explains it is that Basically, a person is given... Now, again, now we've got a, a beautiful visualization to understand the extra soul. Because remember, the letter Aleph, we have the upper Yud, which stands for the highest reaches of light. And then we've got this Vav, this diagonal pipeline, which is funneling that light to below for the seventh day, right? So that's, that energy is expanding our soul and giving us that Neshama Yesera, that, that extra dimension, and Rashi explains what that does for you, practically speaking, is it allows you to integrate the physical and the spiritual even better. Because a lot of times, materiality and spirituality can be a contradiction. Meaning to say that sometimes, you know, a long, fantastic nap can just kind of just take you away from what you're supposed to be doing. Right? Okay, I'm not saying that, that a person doesn't need rest. You need rest and you need strength. But sometimes you, you don't need that nap. <laughs> you know, that nap is, 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 a, is a luxury, basically. So, that's, so that would be an example where materiality or physicality would be a contradiction to spirituality or focusing on what you're supposed to accomplish in this world. But on Shabbos, it says that you get an expansion of soul 
where there isn't a contradiction between materiality and spirituality, meaning to say that the food that you're eating becomes a much more blatant spiritual act, eating well, and the physical um, relations that you would enjoy, or whatever it is, all these things that might have a very intense physical component, with this expansion of soul, actually become more integrated into a spiritual expression. So that's, that's what goes on on Shabbos. Yeah? Can you explain the relation between the separation of the upper waters and lower waters, and why there's then four dimensions? Right. So, so, okay, so the idea is basically revelations, just how revealed is God in this world? Remember, we brought that teaching that the word for world in Hebrew, and remember, our, our tradition is that God, that, that, that each of the letters, um, that God combined the letters and created the world, meaning to say that um, if you think of it more in terms of physics, and each of the letters is almost stands for a different energy wavelength, if you will. And God just took all these energies and came by and made the world. So in the, in the higher reaches, in the more spiritual realms, God is more openly apparent. So for instance, one of the um, uh, uh, things that results from that is, that is that we say that angels don't have free will. And that angels actually are envious of human beings because we can be confronted with this, um, with darkness, and still choose to do the right thing, right? And so, angels basically have this full revelation of godliness. Now, remember, even God exists beyond, beyond where the angels are, right? And the angels, it says, they cry out, "Where is the place of God's glory?" Nonetheless, they have a a, a quantum level higher revelation than we do. Okay, so so. Down here below, um, it's, 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 it's harder to see God. Even though God is equally present here, it's harder to see him. So the rabbis notice from the text that there are four major stratifications, more, four major checkpoints in terms of bringing it down. And, and um, so that's where the four worlds comes from. And now we have this other idea, which is um, the higher waters from the lower waters. Right? And one of the things that you, which is also essentially expressing the same idea, the spiritual realms would be the higher waters, and the physical realms would be the lower waters. And one of the things that you'll find as you study more and more Torah is that there are many different paradigms. And so each paradigm is like, sort of like, you know, have you ever, like Rabbi Green used to talk about this, have you ever sliced an orange the wrong way? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever experienced that. And then you look at it and go, what's going on? What is this? You know, it's like this, this alien creature showed up in your orange. You know what I mean? It's like, I've never seen this face of an orange before. You know, it's like, it's a weird moment, right? So it's like, so what happens is, is that each paradigm is approaching the truth from a different angle, right? And sometimes paradigms will contradict each other. So again, rookies will make the mistake of going, oh, everyone's disagreeing, you know, you know, like this, but they don't understand that each one is approaching it from a different standpoint in order to highlight a different truth. So what we did today was we, we combined two things. In, in one instance, we had the upper waters and the lower waters, which is like two steps. But in the other one, we took it and we made four steps out of it, right? But it was all within the context of the Aleph, which is the oneness of God. 
right? So it's just different views of how to understand how the oneness of God manifests itself. You with me? Okay, yeah. Oh, sure, absolutely. Such an amazing class. Uh, so, why do we have to pray more than once for something? Like, it does make sense that if you prayed really hard and you got an answer, why would you have to pray again? I mean, are you doubting God's belief? Are you, right. I mean, your belief in yourself or your belief to understand? Why do we have to pray three times a day? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. So, 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 just to sort of validate the question, I'll give you just another example. So also from Rabbi Green, you know, I, I don't know if we asked him this question or if it just came up in conversation. I don't know how it came up exactly. But the question was about buying lottery tickets, okay? And he said, you can buy lottery tickets, but you can only buy one lottery ticket. <laughs> because the reality is, is that all God needs is that one ticket if he wants to bless you. If you buy two, what are you really saying? Well, let me make it a little easier for God. <laughs> you know, this is there are a lot of people buying tickets. You know, God doesn't have time to go through each of the numbers. You know what I mean? You know, so it's sort of like, all you need to do is buy one ticket, and then that's it. That's, that's it. And, and so that would be, so to speak, the one prayer. And that is all you need. That is all you need. And that a second ticket is actually a diminishment of faith, right? But then you have a different paradigm, to use that word again, which is what we call hishtadlis. And hishtadlis is human effort. And when it comes to prayer, prayer is called in Hebrew, avoda shabalev, which means the work of the heart, mm-hmm. right? See, some people, again, people who just don't understand what the Torah is trying to do and are just understandably because we, we, you know, and myself included, have just been sort of, um, uh, you know, raised in, 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 in a Western culture which, which um, sometimes uh, things, things seem strange. Like, for instance, the concept of a mechitza, of a separation in a, in a, in a place where you daven, where, okay, the men are going to be on one side and the women are going to be on another side. So some people think, like, well, wait a second, this is, isn't this anti-women? Like, like, and, and you have shuls, you have places where the men are in front and the women are in back or and the women are in a compromised place. And that's unfortunate, but that's more of a failure of architecture than it is in concept. In other words, sometimes... You're trying to squeeze a shul into a, a, an awkward floor plan, and sometimes you can make it work, sometimes you can't make it work. But one, especially in contemporary society, if they're going to start a new shul, should go out of their way to make sure that the division is very equitable and, and very respectful. And the idea is like this, that when you go to shul, some people would say, well, when I go to shul, when I go to pray, that's the time when, that's really family time. That's when I want to be closest with my loved one, my wife or my husband or something like that. But, but the, the rabbis, the sages explain that prayer is a vodashebelev. It's work of the heart. When you go to shul, that's a work session. That's not going to the park. You know, you want to have family time with your wife or your husband? That's the other 23 hours of the day or the other six days of the week, or whatever it is. When you're going to shul, 
You're there to focus and you're there to work. And if I'm standing there and I'm standing next to a woman and I'm worrying about what I'm wearing or my breath or whatever it is, you know, and I'm just self-consciously interacting with this other person, that's a distraction. It's a distraction for women and it's a distraction for men. And so the idea is, let's just keep it focused. And then after shul, you know, you have a kiddish, you know, you can socialize and, and do the things and, and all the rest, you know. So, so what I'm trying to bring out, that was a bit of a digression, I'm sorry. But what I'm trying to bring out is the idea that prayer itself is not like buying a lottery ticket where you did your work and that's it. Prayer itself is actually the digging of the well. That's, the, that's, that's actually the work. And, and, and our, our rabbis teach that if your prayer isn't answered, pray again. And that God loves the prayers themselves. Um, but, but you're right. There are, and you know, much has been written on your, your question, Barb, which is that prayer on some level is totally confounding. Because doesn't God already know what I'm missing? And that doesn't God already know what I want? And why should I even pray at all? So, so all of these are like very legitimate questions. But the bottom line is, is that we're opening up gates through our prayers. And, 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 and we're building a relationship with God through our prayers. And that God loves that. That God loves that, actually. And, um, and it's hard. And it is hard. And it is hard. And I'll tell you one more thing, which is that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was told that he's not going to Israel, right? Uh, they, they really discuss this in Parsha's Vies Chanan. And they point out that Vies Chanan, which is in the name of the Parsha that really talks about Moshe praying to get into the land of Israel, is the gematria, the numerical equivalent of 515. And it's also the gematria of the word tefillah, mm. prayer itself. And they say that Moshe davened 515 prayers to go into the land of Israel, right? And the Vilna Gon points out 515 different prayers, right? So it says that one shouldn't pray by rote, that if it happens to be that God loves prayer and that sometimes we're going to be put into a place in our life where we have to do multiple prayers, Make them different prayers. Keep your prayers fresh and alive. Right? And then, interestingly, it says, the Medrash says that God says to Moshe, you know what, if you pray one more time, I'm going to have to answer you. But you should, have to, you should know something, it's not going to be ultimately for the best for the Jewish people. And so Moshe doesn't pray that 516th prayer. Right, and there's a whole reason why, but we won't go into it and all the rest. But um, but we should know that a lot of times God never get into a place, and this is very very important. Never get into a place where you think that God is not answering your prayer. And the famous story is that you should know that God is answering your prayer. This is the, I'm going to tell you the way it's said, but then I'm going to put a, an immediate P.S. on it. God just said no, right? He did answer your prayer, but I am not so into that. So I, I, I change it around slightly. God just said, not yet. <laughs> right? It's not, just not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Thank you for being such a loving human being. Oh, well. <laughs> That's the main reason why I go uh, right from your heart uh, to everybody. So uh, thank appreciate you for it. that. Yeah. And your yeah. parents for giving me 
Um, my question is, when I'm learning, especially from you, yeah. I feel such oneness, Hashem. It's like, it's like it's almost, you know, like he's manifest in the room. Um, and then the rest of the week, I have to do so much other stuff. Like, like lots of different things. And um, one of those things is like, you know, making money. And so like, I have to do things that seem very insignificant sometimes, you know, go to meetings and like, do music, whatever I'm doing. And then I feel like, oh, what a waste of time. Like I should just be, if I'm trying to like get the most out of my life, like I should just be, you know, sitting and learning Torah all the time. And I don't know how to like, I feel like I'm very, I'm a Gemini. I get very like schizophrenic about it. Mm -hmm. It makes me like not know what to do with myself. And so how do you make sense of the rest of the time that you have to like, I have to wash dishes, I have to, I'm gonna do so many other things and then I feel like I get far away from this. So, um, why would Hashem want you to go do anything else then? Like, other than sit and, right. and connect and do mitzvah, you know what I'm saying? Big wills. How do you, like, make sense of all yeah. that time that you spend? Okay, so you mentioned that you're a Gemini. <laughs> okay. so, uh, so let's start there. Let's start there. Because the, the, we have, in, in, in Torah thought, we also have... We don't call them zodiac signs. We call them the mazel of the month. And the mazel for the month of Sivan, which is the month that the Torah is given, is the twins. So it would correlate with Gemini. So in other words, the giving of the Torah itself happened in the month of Gemini, or the twins, right? And what they say, so what are the, what is that concept? That's the idea of below to above, and from above to below. And that the two go together and the two are totally organically like the two luchos, the two sides of the, of the tablets themselves are both organically part of the Torah. Meaning to say that there's two aspects of life. There's the efforts that we put into this world to elevate this world and the light that comes down from our efforts. Right? And then sometimes God reverses it. God gives us a jump start. He brings down light from above in order to inspire us, and then we elevate the below to above. So the Hasidic commentaries and Kabbalistic commentaries talk about different events, which is, which came first? Was it the below to above or the above to below? And there's a lot of discussion on that as well. So what you're, what you're pointing out is the twin aspects which are not a contradiction to each other in, in life, but are actually organically two halves of the human condition. And the idea is just to try to talk to God throughout the day. You know? You know? And, um, and that way you keep your... Bless you. That way you keep your awareness that what you're doing is, is, is swimming through godliness even when you're just going to a meeting, even when you're washing dishes or whatever it is, you know? But it's, it's more challenging when you're dealing with the physical. But if you, if you talk to God and things like that, and thank God especially, even at those moments like, thank you God for these dishes. <laughs> I'm cleaning them because you put food on them. <laughs> you know? Then... then uh, then it becomes a little bit easier and more integrated. Yeah. Okay, we good? Okay, have a great day. Thank you. Yeah.